quick one. If you can hit follow or subscribe to this podcast, that really helps me track new listeners. Cheers. As always, it's important to remember that the Wealth Journal podcast is not financial advice. It's purely here for educational and entertainment purposes. We don't make any recommendations, any stock picks or anything like that. One thing I would advise if you do want financial advice, please go and speak to a qualified financial advisor. Now with that out the way, let's get cracking. So this week, I thought I'd give you a bit of an update on some of the points I've recently made in my wealth journal and some of the recent decisions and actions I've actually taken surrounding my own wealth. And hopefully you find that useful. So point one is the financial hierarchy of needs. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and it's something that a financial advisor would know, but I was certainly never taught this in school. And it's all about how you should prioritize your finances based on importance. I think it's easy to get caught up in investing and chasing wealth, but without assessing your current financial situation and whether it's built on a healthy or solid foundation. And being honest, I I think I've probably just focused a little bit too much on investing and not really looked at everything else. So this hierarchy of needs is a great model, almost like a bit of a checklist to make sure that you've got a solid financial base before you start maybe taking more of the calculated risks with money. Now, if I go back to episode one of the podcast, I would maybe even include this from the beginning, but hey, I'm learning as I go here. So let's just run through it. So priority one, living today and your current income. That's priority one. And this is all about making sure you've got enough income to have a reasonable lifestyle. There's no point in addressing all future financial needs if you can't afford to live today. Priority two, protection. Ensuring you or your family have security if something was to happen to the main breadwinner. This could be a death, a serious illness, or something which could result in loss of earnings. So that's essentially having life insurance, critical illness cover in place if something bad was to happen. And I'd probably put in this same bucket of protection, maybe your three to six month sort of safety net or rainy day fund. Priority three would be your pension, building up income for retirement. Not many people think about this, especially when you're younger, but asking yourself like, am I saving enough for retirement to give me the lifestyle I want? And maybe even playing with some of the calculated tools that you can see online to have a look at what you could potentially end up with at retirement. Priority four would be savings. Now, we all have things that we want in life. It might be um, a holiday, work on the house, that dream car, or even, you know, saving for things related to your children, whether it's like school fees or their weddings or anything like that. And there's no point investing all your spare cash if you have plans to spend it in the short or medium term on a holiday or new car, because you potentially risk needing that cash when the markets take a dip. And then the final priority will be your investments. And technically, this then sits really at the bottom of the priority list, really. But it's still it's still important, especially when it comes to building wealth. And I do think you can do some of these elements all at the same time. You can build a rainy day fund, you can save, and you can invest. And I think it's good to establish those habits all at the same time. But you've then got to remember that each one of those will probably take a little bit more time than the um, than if you were to just focus on each one. So I've been looking down this list myself and thinking, like, how strong is my foundation? 
And I guess after speaking with Adrian Benjamin in episode 33, I quickly found out that my family's protection wasn't fully optimized. You know, we had life insurance, but it wasn't, but it was, um, I think it was more of a decreasing policy, which basically sort of tracks your, your mortgage. So starts to sort of reduce as your mortgage reduces, but then nothing else. So if anything was to happen to, to me or my wife, we'd pretty much pay off the mortgage and then that would be it. So literally after doing that podcast, I sat down with Adrian, we set up a new policy and that was pretty much the same price as my old one, but it didn't decrease in value. So it ensured that, you know, if something bad was to happen, not only would the mortgage be paid off, but we also, you know, the fam- my family would get more money to then sort of help with the rest of their lives, essentially. And then I also added critical illness cover, which again was much cheaper than some of the previous quotes I've I've had initially from banks when taking out mortgages. So I feel now that that I guess that priority level two, the protection side of things, after just a quick conversation, obviously doing that podcast episode, I've been able to I've been able to get sorted, which is uh you know, it gives you peace of mind. Don't get me wrong, there's so many different insurance products out there. You can get insurance for absolutely everything. You could potentially overdo it because then it does become another expense. But I think obviously if you can just make sure you've got some cover for that peace of mind, then you will feel a little bit better. So that's one of the one of the key things I've been working on this week, looking through that financial hierarchy of needs. At the moment, I am still looking at just building that rainy day fund out a little bit further. Um and yeah, that's where I'm currently at. Point two, lifetime ISA. So the next point in my wealth journal this week is the lifetime ISA. And I guess the previous exercise led me to thinking about the lifetime ISA. Now, many of you will know, especially if you listen in the UK, that an ISA stands for an individual savings account. It's essentially a tax-free wrapper that can be placed around well-established investment products. So basically, any gains you get from money invested in an ISA is tax-free. And there are different types of ISAs. There's cash ISAs, there's stocks and shares ISAs, there's help-to-buy ISAs, there's lifetime ISAs, there's junior ISAs. And each person in the UK has an ISA allowance of £20,000 per year, which can be split across all the different ISA types, but it can't exceed that amount. The only difference here is that the limit for a junior ISA is nine grand a year. And if you're saving nine grand a year for your kids, then I want to be that child. (laughs) So when it comes to investing, I think it's wise to make use of all the tax efficient options as a priority. So this week, I've been thinking of a couple of different things based on the hierarchy of needs. So one, am I saving enough for retirement? And two, what do I do with the money that I want to invest at the moment when the markets are seemingly going down? And this is where I think the lifetime ISA is useful because if you have a long-term investment sort of mindset or long-term investment goals, or you want something that can maybe help top up your pension in the future, and you currently have no idea what to do with your excess cash or you're nervous about investing, you're worried about, but then you're also worried about inflation, then I think the lifetime ISA is possibly a good option. And here's why. The government will pay a 25% bonus on the annual contributions that you make each year up to £1,000 and it's credited monthly. And you can pay up to £4,000 into the Lifetime ISA each year if you're aged between 18 and 40 years old. And you can fund it 
all the way up until you're 50 years old, and then the funding sort of stops. There are a few caveats to consider, but essentially you can get a 25% return on up to four grand a year, pretty much risk and tax free. So at the moment it's inflation beating and possibly during this climate, market beating returns, all provided tax free by the UK government. And you can also, if you want to, opt to invest the funds in lifetime ISAs to help compound returns even further. So if it is a long-term play, and this really should be a long-term play, it's called a lifetime ISA, then you can put that lifetime ISA to work as well. So the caveats. The bonuses are conditional on you accessing the fund at certain points during your life. You can access the fund earlier without penalty to buy your first property once it has run for at least 12 months. Alternatively, the fund is designed to run until you reach 60 years old, at which point the fund can also be withdrawn without penalty. So it is a long-term option that's worth thinking about. Now, you can withdraw it earlier, but there will be a 25% penalty applied to the funds that you withdraw. So that's the government essentially getting their, their money back because they want you to keep it ideally for retirement. Um, and the penalty will also be applied on any any growth as well as the original contribution. So let's say you put 4K in and then the government put 1K, so you've got 5K. And then you went out, you know, <laughs> you went all out Warren Buffett style and managed to grow that 5K to 100K and then withdrew it early. The government would take 25%, so 25K as an early withdrawal penalty. So one to be mindful of. So why do I like this as an option? Well, firstly, if you're already happy with your pension contributions, this is a good and slightly more flexible option to top that up. Second point is that you get 25% return guaranteed from the government. So if you want to put your money to work today, but I have no idea where to put it, this is a good one to consider. Point three, unlike a pension, you can withdraw this in an emergency. That's why it's a bit more flexible, but obviously be careful of the 25% penalty. And then finally, you can invest this money even further for hopefully more tax-free capital growth. So it's a long-term play, but worth considering, not financial advice. Point three, why don't we do what is good for us in the long term? So I literally just told you about a way to earn tax-free cash when you turn 60 or buy a house just by saving a bit of money each month. And I bet 90% of the people listening won't do that. Why? So a bit of a topic change, but I wanted to look at the psychology here because I think investing is all about short and medium-term sacrifice in the pursuit of long-term gains. And yet many of us find it hard to make that sacrifice, even though we know what the benefits will be in the future. But don't be hard on yourself because it's actually more to do with our brains and less about us making the right choices. In James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, he details that in modern society, many of the choices that we make today will not benefit us immediately. If you do good work at your job, you probably get a paycheck in a few weeks. If you exercise today, perhaps you won't be overweight next year. If you save money now, maybe you'll have enough for retirement decades from now. We live in what scientists call a delayed return environment because you can work for years before your actions deliver the intended payoff. But the human brain did not evolve for life in a delayed return environment. 
the neocortex, the newest part of the brain and the region responsible for higher functions like language, for example, was roughly the same size 200,000 years ago as it is today. We are essentially walking around with the exact same hardware as our ancestors from many years ago. It is only recently, during the last 500 years or so, that society has shifted to a predominantly delayed return environment. The world has changed much in recent years, but our human nature has changed very little. Similar to other animals on the African savannah, our ancestors spent their days responding to grave threats, securing the next meal, taking shelter from a storm. It made sense to place a high value on instant gratification. The distant future was less of a concern. And after thousands of generations in an immediate return environment, our brains evolved to prefer quick payoffs versus long-term ones. Now, behavioural economists refer to this tendency as time inconsistency. The way your brain evaluates rewards is inconsistent across time. You value the present more than the future. And usually, this tends to serve as well. A reward that is certain right now is typically worth more than one that is merely possible in the future. But occasionally, our bias towards instant gratification causes problems. And that's why I think it's hard to invest in the long term, because there are so many things that we could do with our money right now that provides us with that instant gratification. Buying a new pair of trainers, buying that handbag, getting the latest BMW or the up-to-date iPhone. Brands, advertisers and social media peer pressure is constantly trying to grab our attention and make us spend now. So I'm currently looking at a couple of different strategies to combat this this issue and trick my brain almost in order to attempt to form a more positive savings and investment habit. So the first thing I'm looking at is trying to make this habit as easy as possible, removing as much friction as I can. So going forward, I'm looking to automate as many saving and investment decisions as possible. Therefore, I don't have to make a conscious decision to do it. I eliminate my chances of forgetting. And I also think once the money moves from my account into my savings or investment account, then I'm less likely to reverse that decision. The other trick I'm looking to employ is to keep an investment success log. When I trained for a marathon a few months back, well, actually, maybe almost a year back now, (laughs) I had a training plan and I, I built that on Excel. And I took great pleasure in turning each of the successful training session cells green once I completed it. And after a few weeks of training, it was great to look back and see all those green cells highlighted. It motivated me to keep going. So I'm going to apply this same technique to my savings and investment habits. It could be an Excel sheet, a checklist, a calendar, whatever. But research has shown that this is a great way to positively build a habit because you end up creating a streak, a streak of positive successes. And then you get to the point where you don't want to break that streak. So you tend to, you tend to keep going. So I'm going to try that. I'll let you know how I get on. That's it this week. I hope you took something from the episode. And of course, thanks again for listening. I'm not sure if I say this enough or too often, but I'm very grateful to those that listen to the Wealth Journal podcast. I appreciate the messages I get each week, the feedback, what you'd like to see in the podcast, etc. So please keep that coming. And I will speak to you next week. Take care.